Hi there, I'm Jesse Cannon, a record producer, music marketer, and author of the best-selling book on creativity and music. This video is the second in a series on what musicians can learn from the most compelling and interesting musicians in music today, and part of a channel where I'm teaching musicians how to promote their music and achieve high levels of musical creativity, which is why I'm discussing the 1975, since there's no group that illustrates these concepts better than them today. It's no secret they're one of the most consequential acts of the last decade, and the result is seeing a band that could do what the Rolling Stones and the Beatles always promised they could do but never lived up to. That is the ability to take any influence they find and reinvent it in a way that outdoes those they were influenced by. While there's a lineage of artists who have stolen from the underground and then brought it to the mainstream, like Nirvana, David Bowie, Kanye, or Madonna, what makes the 1975 the band that outdoes them is this isn't limited to taking the ideas of the underground. They take on any genre, including the biggest pop hits, and find a way to marry that pop with the great underserviced ideas in music today. While it has long been doubted that any band matters today, the 1975 make the case that, like the clash before them, they are the only band that matters. Now you may have guessed the 1975 mean a lot to me, since for the last seven years they've been the band that every time I have an emotional moment in my life, I turn to them. Since they make the sound of what I'm feeling, whether it's falling in love, heartbreak, loss, death, or whatever, they're who's there for me. So now I'm gonna to try to articulate why that is through the lens of what they do that musicians can learn from. So let's start with that whole thing about being able to do what no one else has been able to do and outdo everyone else at any sound they choose. When the group started to gain notice, they were widely derided as being a band bringing back the sounds of the 80s, like Talking Heads, In Excess, Huey Lewis, and Talk Talk, and much of the genre I like to call maximalism. But seeing as they went through punk and emo phases in their pre-first LP days, this has now proven to just be the warm-up, where they learned how to master songwriting before reaching the form they have taken on since. Whether it's songs like Two Time, that showed that they could out-songwrite the pop sound that Justin Bieber pioneered with his collaborations with Skrillex and Diplo, to explorations of jazz and country music in the Music for Cars era, to taking what Aphex Twin, Burial, Autiker, and UK Garage Acts have done and recontextualizing it in pop, the Brian Eno, Stephen Reich, and Sigur Rós influenced segment add the textures used to bridge these wild moods together. Robert Smith of The Cure has described his own records as being roller coaster records, and I like to think these are a lot like the 1975's records, where there's so many different moods and emotions, it's like a roller coaster that goes up and down, but what they have done with this concept is more like a roller coaster mixed with a time machine, as they take this concept to levels never seen before in the past or the future. They find a way to impart the motions they hit since music is never good when it imitates. It has to have an emotion to conjure from, and they always find a way to bring it back to their emotional point of view. I kind of get away with referencing other people's art because people kind of know what I'm doing. They don't think I'm just copying, because I, why would I copy? I'm so obsessed with going, look, do you know that? Look, this guy, yeah. They're a self-professed postmodern pop band that references a million things. And while Healy says he doesn't even know what his band is half the time, this is also why he only has a little shame when he says his own band is his favorite band. But the funny thing is that this is a secret ingredient to nearly every great artist. In my book on creativity and music, I discovered from countless interviews with the biggest, most influential artists in the world, that it is a common trope that the greatest musicians are trying to make the music they want to hear, since no one else is making what they want to hear. But they're also the ones we all want to hear, as they are making music from an inspiration that's true to themselves. Now, I firmly believe the groups with large musical vocabularies coupled with a pursuit of the emotions they want to hear end up being the groups that resonate the most with us as an audience. 
They take on the philosophy of wanting to be every one of their favorite bands, while going beyond what those bands achieved to bring their influences and sounds to new level. And while music writer Larry Fitzmaurice called them both the most hated and loved band in the world, no one that ever does anything bold and exciting doesn't make enemies along the way. But what really hits home to me about the group is, when I was young, the thing that made me not want to be in a band anymore, I felt like I had to be in a band that had one sound. I didn't want that since I didn't feel like I could explore all the different musical influences I had. The 1975 changed that in music for me and that they could be any band they want. I think one of their lasting legacies is that all the Reddit subreddit questions asking if a group needs a defied sound, the 1975 will be the group that consequently proves you don't necessarily need to stick with one sound. But we've already gotten ahead of ourselves, so let's go back to the start. One of the first things you will hear from the 1975's haters is that they're an industry plant. Since singer Matt Healy's parents are both famous actors in the UK and his mother hosts the UK equivalent of The View. But that's totally besides the point because this is totally stupid. The 1975 are instead one of the many stories that prove the industry plant thing to be a totally dumb. Very famously, and with a lot of paper trail, the group has been active with the exact same lineup since 2002, under various different monikers and sounds, yet their debut album was only released in late 2013. This was in fact because despite having famous parents and tons of connections, the group was brought to every single major label and was brutally denied for being god-awful. Eventually, they teamed up with manager Jamie Oborn and formed their own label Dirty Hit, which still releases their music to this day in conjunction with various different major labels depending on the record and the region of the world. And after teaming up with producer powerhouse Mike Crossy, they made their phenomenal debut LP, which is what gained them much of their initial success. While there's countless examples of the idea that famous parents get someone a record deal and that fuels success, as someone who's worked at a major label all day, what you see more often than not is rich kids take a selfie in the lobby and then you never see them again. Seriously, the proof is right there if you location search any of the major labels. In an era where major labels pretty much only sign artists that perform well on analytic tools, it's way too hard to fake the streams you need to build up to hit those analytic levels that they want to sign. This myth is deader than ever, and seriously, these mouth breathers who accuse the 1975 or anyone else of this need to actually look at evidence, not their insecure feelings about why no one wants to listen to their own music. Anyway, but how did they get this good? It's so easy to make up fictions or legends about groups, but this group has shown tons of evidence of what has been happening to make them who they are. There's a famous saying about creativity from Arthur Schopenhauer that says, chance favors the connected mind. And no act embodies this more. Being the band that can do everything, the 1975 has so many musical connections of knowing how music works in different genres. These connections are seeing the connective tissue of what someone is doing in one genre and seeing how it relates, as they often take an element of one genre and then recontextualize it in another. Listening through their catalog, they have built up the skills to be the band that can do everything with each release. Very rarely things get written very quickly. It's, it normally takes quite a while and it evolves a lot. In fact, you often hear of them leaving songs off of previous record, like The Sound or What Should I Say, and putting on the next because they didn't have the creative tools to accomplish what they were going for yet. This level of thought in music is what I've constantly seen birth the greatest musical acts that I've been lucky enough to be close to. One of the reoccurring bits of DNA in all the great creators when they are at their peaks, it is said that they always remain a student and are constantly pushing themselves to learn new things. You know, I'm still the same record-obsessed, music-loving, waiting-outside show kind of kid and they're aiming to be bigger than what they are imitating and bringing new knowledge and context to what they do constantly maddie consistently mentions talking for hours with his heroes and while you may think that's easy for him 
This practice for musicians is something you can even do at a smaller scale by reaching to those who are just a little bit better than you. But back to this band. From their first record on, they master the art of that there's never a moment where attention isn't maximized. Listen through any song and the second the vocal stops, something else will call your attention. They're masters of making sure every song moves with the moments that call your attention at every glance. The only time they deviate from this are the moments of breath in their interludes where the lack of attention and atmosphere they allow gives you a breath from the constant onslaught of attention-calling moments. After all, post-Nirvana, most of music is always about drawing contrast. Whether that's from loud to quiet or high-density to low-density musical moments, that is one of the skills to master in modern music today. Like many of the biggest acts in music today, they abide by the sonic signature theory that each song should have one sound in it that you haven't heard anywhere else in any other song. But they even take that to their videos, where every single one, Matty is always rocking a hairstyle or a whole look that he never repeats again and you've never seen anywhere else. In a Madonna-like nod in each video, it's an opportunity that is not to be wasted to give a visual that will be unique to that song and you will think of every time you hear it. Blending a visual signature with the song's audio signature. One of their unique traits is what Maddie calls expressing in real time. After waiting over a half a year for their first two records to get through the big label machine and get released after they were finished recording them, the group grew tired of feeling their very timely music wasn't expressing what they were feeling and the distance it brought to the vulnerable emotions they were expressing. Much to the anger of fans who were over the last two records both being delayed over a year, Matty decided to start releasing songs as he felt them dropping singles nearly a year in advance of a record being released, as those singles were completed even though the record wasn't even near being complete. While this meant those amended release dates, angry fans and their mentions and tour postponements, it has allowed Healy to connect with his audience in a more immediate way while the nerve is still raw. Speaking of releasing singles immediately, this brings me to the point that the group are masters of marketing. Using their own label Dirty Hit to release their music, you can see the label is constantly taking innovative approaches to marketing. Let's start with their approach on how to handle Healy expressing in real time. It's Spotify and YouTube recommendation algorithms releasing six singles before a brief inquiry, and now eight before the release of notes on a conditional form. And if you do want to learn more about that, I have a video in the description on how Pale Waves built their fan base this way. The group knows that Maddie is one of the most thought-provoking frontman music has seen in decades and they have fully exploited this. Instead of making constant behind-the-scenes content like so many other groups make, they make so much content around him in interviews since he has the rarest gift in music today of not only being able to make great music, but also being able to talk about it in a meaningful and coherent way. But that's not the only thing. They're always doing something eventful to stay on top of the world's mind. Whether it's collaborating with Greta Thunberg, printing recycled merch, or having your straight singer make out with a fan on stage in a country where that's punishable by death. That's a weird thing to do, really. The group is not only one of the most self-aware acts, they're self-referential with a keen understanding that this awareness and the Easter eggs of connections to their music creates a conversation around their music that engages fans. Their self-awareness is most evident in the video for the sound, in knowing the way that they were being perceived by finding a way to bridge the gap from widespread mockery by critics to becoming critics' darlings by walking up to the bully and showing them that they can fight. The video is a masterclass in this, since they had the goods to back it up, and on the record after this, they became critics' darlings after showing the critics that they knew how to talk back to them and show that they understand themselves in context of their fans and the press. They strategically release content that defies the narratives around them to show that they are that band, to even the snobbiest people in music who try to deny that they are the best band in the game. This leads me right to the video for Two Time, where the group knew their audience was incredibly diverse, yet they were being derided as a white 80s ripoff emo band 
And they then showed that they can handle pop masterfully musically and that their music was for everyone by showing the inclusiveness of their audience in their video. One of the things they get that keeps them from falling flat like so many rock stars today is they know the borders to walk inside and which ones not to walk down. Needed to be as objective and as fair and as anti watch out sheeple as possible. You constantly hear Maddie talking about examining how a thing they're going to do can be badly done and when it is done well. And this understanding extends to the way they engage fans. The video becomes the social media rollout. Then it becomes the merch and the stage set at the shows. Every visual is full stack. Even the constantly used box makes an appearance as the main working visual in the videos and the stage set and as rings and necklaces on the merch side. There's an aesthetic form everywhere you look so the group is easily recognizable where everyone's eyes who understand their language see them. They've even stylized the way each record opens with a track that they compare to the opening sound of a video game which is always called the 1975 that is usually a warm-up mood for the record to set the tone and with each record, they've closed it with a sentimental song discussing family. It's not that I'm fond of dropping Easter eggs. It's just that I find that the best art makes you feel personally addressed. It makes you think they're talking to me. I want to reference that I know that you know that I know. But more about the fans. They'd stay informed from their fans, which Healy regularly references as the inspiration for creative choice. And while I think many groups do this, they aren't as outwardly boastful about it. Maddie even says the entire second album creative choice of using Pink was inspired by their fans. I would go on like Tumblr and stuff like that and see what the fans were doing now that they were bored because they didn't have any new visual information because we weren't in a cycle or whatever. And they'd started colouring everything pink. Sincerity may be scary, but it connects with an audience. While I've gone on about the group's superpowers, their understanding that vulnerability is what creates connection with their fans is one so many musicians neglect and don't pursue. Yet every time Healy is interviewed, he demonstrates his understanding of this. He says, All I know is the more specific I am in my writing, the more people relate to it. This is exactly what someone says when they're a band that knows that being vulnerable and finding how to express your most vulnerable emotions is what connects to fans on a big level, and they're a huge example of that. Lastly, you can't talk about the 1975 without talking about their visual aesthetics. The group is an absolute powerhouse in not only knowing how to do simple branding for a group that's easily recognizable, but also how to keep an audience noticing patterns they can latch onto and discuss. Since after all, while aesthetics are pleasing and make your audience appreciate you more, giving them subtle visual hints to constantly think about and talk about until their friends give in and listen to you is one of the most essential parts of how music spreads. They have developed a language for the fans to understand what they are doing. Whether it's when they make a video in black and white throwing back to their 80s inspired sound onto the way they stylize the writing of their posts on social media. Since it's a sea of constant scrolling hyperpop images, it could be easy to get lost in them. But when you see a certain text formatting, it can catch a fan's eyes to pay attention and stay in touch with you. Alright, I've gushed enough. Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, I highly recommend you get subscribed as in the coming weeks there's videos just like this on Rick Rubin, Charlie XCX, and Brian Eno. As well as that, I have a whole playlist that's a masterclass on how you promote your music in 2020 and build up from zero fans to 10,000. I hope you subscribe and get notified in the future, and if I missed anything, I'd love to hear about it in the comments. So stop there and tell me what's up. See you in the next video.